When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This spring on VH1, 12 Maidens. Searching for love. Fighting for one man. To win his sacred heart. Living together in a castle. Who will put the O in love? Or shall we say, D-O in love? One will never, never, never come home. This spring, who will be the last in line? Only on VH1. How did how did your hookup with Sabbath come about? Well, as I say, I I left Rainbow. I had been out of the band for about six months, and uh, I was kind of deciding what I was going to do next with my life—not my life, but with my career. I know what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, let's live it, by the way. You're listening to the Cobras and Fire podcast, part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Network. Now let's get up with them horns and down with that Napoleon complex. Booyah! Yeah.
Welcome to Cobras of Fire. I'm Gene Vogel, and as always, I'm joined by the Satin Onesie, Loose Cannon, and Baco. How you guys doing? What the fuck is this? Yeah, Gene. Yeah, what do you we mean? invited you on the show. Mm-hmm. You don't do the intro. Well, Who we, the fuck uh, are you? I thought we'd try something different. I, 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 I don't even know what to do right now, Loose. Uh, do I talk? I think I'm done. Uh, I'm done. I, I feel shorter. Satin Onesie? I don't have any Satin Onesies. I got swords. I got dragons. What the fuck? Hey, no, that's our that's our esteemed guest, Gene Vogel, back for the uh, Dio era of Black Sabbath. Thank you for introducing us, uh, yes. Gene. Thank you, Gene. Well done. I, we appreciate it very much. And thank you. Since you are a guest, why don't you tell the audience what they should expect to listen to on this episode that they haven't already figured out from the title? I think just more insane comments and just general great discussion on uh, the discography of Black Sabbath and moving into the... Uh, to the uh, Dio era, as is mentioned. So everybody, get your outfits that are five one or shorter, <laughs> and let's get this this party started. Yeah, I mean, do you know do you know the uh, who looks up to Dio the most? <laughs> uh, pets? No, Udo. Udo. <laughs> oh boy, I've used that joke before. Yeah, we're, um, re- we're, we're recycling. Let's just call this 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 era of Cobras and Fire recycler. Recycler. <laughs> Going back to the well. Uh, well, uh, I mean, uh, so Dio kind of had kind of an uh, in-and-out thing with Black Sabbath for about, about 20, 30 years, right? They, they came in, did the first couple records, a live album. They got in a fight. Uh, Dio punched uh, Geezer in the nuts and started a <laughs> Dio solo career. It's uh, his level. Yeah, and the, on, the, on his way out, he fucked Ozzy's wife. Uh, and then... <laughs> oh, he did not. Yeah. That's not late that. early nineties, they, they they reunite for a record, and then uh, he fucks Ozzy's wife again and has to leave. <laughs> and then uh, between like um, Ozzy reuniting and then them going on a hiatus, they do that kind of oh. heaven the hell project, and we'll touch on all that. So hold on, I'm just imagining Dio throwing a shot in a Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> just just constantly like if I'm coming getting out of here, uh. I'm just this old elf just. Just crawling up on top of Sharon and giving her the business. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, the whole time, the whole time, and her attitude on the, the what the hell talk show is she on? I think it's called the, the Talk. You and Ozzy still have sex? <gasps> oh. This is this is a bone of contention in our house. Really? <laughs> is this called okay, just the Talk? <laughs> yeah. Just that bitchy attitude, and Dio's just giving it to her. This is a bone of contention in our house. <laughs> I just, it's, it's a hell of a I don't think your story is 100% accurate I don't think he, he shagged her twice no yes. it was, it was no. more than twice come on <laughs> I mean just just just, uh, just before they started recording the uh, the devil you know record with heaven and hell he hit her too hold on hold on Baco I'm getting a phone call hold on let me answer it yeah we're gonna have to pull the episode this is a bone of contention in our once Ozzy left, uh, they both kind of came out pretty strong out of the gates. But Black Sabbath came out a little quicker with uh, Dio. And oddly enough, uh, Sharon Osborne, then known as Sharon Arden, was working for her father, Don Arden, uh, and she made the union of Dio and Black Sabbath. This is a bone of contention. 
kitchen in our house. That's so odd. I know, isn't that fucked up? And then she banged Ozzy and started uh, <laughs> managing him. Because that was pre knowing Ozzy. Yeah, I think it was all kind of overlapping. I mean, I, I I don't know exactly for sure when she said, "Hey, this is Dio," and then when she uh, put Ozzy's penis inside her. This is a bone of contention in our house. <laughs> but uh, it, it was all pretty close, right? Uh, sure, you're 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 like the Martin Popoff of uh, of the sexual liaisons. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you should write a book. Yeah, I would. You should I, write a book. Sharon Bones. <laughs> is that your pen name? Yeah, no, no that's the name of my first book. Sharon, Sharon Bones. Oh, that's good. Sharon Bones. <laughs> uh, actually, it, it does make a good pen name, doesn't it? Yes, it, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm, I'm saying. Sharon do you know Bones. Who, do you know who boned Sharon Bones? Richard Bachman. Oh, my God. Oh, well, Heaven and Hell came out April 25th, 1980. It was recorded in Miami at Criteria Recording Studios and pre Produced by Martin Birch, who did a lot of shit, including his work with Iron Maiden, which I think he's probably known mostly for. This is also the first record to feature Jeff Nichols on keyboards. He also played bass during the demo sessions while Geezer uh, dealt with an unhappy wife. Nice. Well, I'll say this, too. Is whenever I hear that albums, like metal albums or darker albums, are recorded in a Miami or like in the Bahamas, I guess Judas Priest went to the Bahamas a lot. Does that sound odd though? Yeah, I know the, the, the Stones did that too. Did they? Okay, all right. Anyway, just a little side note, but uh, it doesn't sound like where you would make it. It should be somewhere in uh, Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, like outside in in a steel mill. <laughs> exactly. And That's you only record at night when the ghosts are out. <laughs> I think it's a pretty strong album, especially coming off of the the previous two releases. Oh, no doubt. You, you <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, that's I know that's setting the bar low. However, <laughs> you know they replaced their vocalist, and obviously Dio's got a name. He just came out of Rainbow, so there's there's that cachet involved with it. And Elf, don't forget Elf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who could Plus, forget Elf? Satin onesies. <laughs> you can yes. The whole package is what yeah, you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's got it all. He's got it all. Yeah. He's got it all. Did, Plus, did, did you ever have the Dio Cabbage Patch doll in the satin onesie in the 80s? I did. It was lovely. <laughs> you could adopt it. Uh, I'm speechless. No. Yeah, me I, too. I'm going to have to look that up on eBay later. Yeah. I'm definitely getting one. I, I want two, actually. Go ahead. Go ahead. So One, one for fucking... <laughs> Oh my god! It goes without you saying. You took that joke way too far. Uh, as usual. It goes without saying. You gotta have that. As a tradition. So, yeah, it comes out strong. I think Neon Knights.
Children of the Sea. No, we're supposedly Children of the Sea of the Sea is a song that they actually worked with Ozzy on. That could be rumor, but uh, I think Tommy Tony is uh, credited with saying that that this is a song that uh, it's changed, obviously, but that was something they had worked with before Ozzy was out of the band or something. So, quick quick question, Gene. Do, do you know who can't swim in the sea? Children of the Sea, Children of the Grave. That's true. Zing. <laughs> I was just letting that one breathe. Um, I mean, of course, we cannot go without saying the title track. The title track is such an iconic song. It's it is not just a good Black Sabbath song. It's just a good all around metal song. Yeah, and the bass line inspired Bobby Dahl to pick up a bass. It did, and he took that. Do, 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 do. He never got that. Do, do, do. It was like doop, 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 doop. I, I think. I mean, every time I hear Heaven and Hell, I think of Unskinny Bop. Yeah, it's like Unskinny Bop, but uh, with a little more gusto. 
Yeah, exactly. But please continue, Gene, as we interrupt you. Constantly. So, <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, I'm, it's a baptism by fire, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, it's a great time. album, and it's a different. It's a different vibe because now they've got a different singer who's got more. He's a more dynamic singer. He's got more range than what Ozzy brought to the table. A little less doom. A little bit more. Uh, a lot of pep in the step on yep. this album. A, a little more pep. A um, little bit, uh, boy, I wanna, I'm going to say this, but possibly regret it. A little bit of 80s pep to it. That, no, it's all right. But it's not, it, it transcends the 80s, though. I, I So don't to get me wrong. I don't want to say that it's a, an 80s album. It doesn't have, you know, where you can go, wow, I feel like I'm listening to Wang Chung or something like that. It's... <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine a, a Wang Wang Chung uh, little uh, a coda at the end of the yeah. song or something? Everybody having hell tonight. You should you should record that. Die Young, uh, it's it's a it's a really great album. Um, I'm, boy, I can't stack it up against maybe the first four albums as a complete package, but the song Heaven and Hell itself is just so goddamn strong, so powerful, so just metal, and I think it really helped. Uh, I helped. I think it helped the whole damn genre back when it came out. The whole. Uh, it was part of what was going on, and I think it even raised the bar in a fashion. It was a very strong song for me. Baco? Uh, Neon Nights, man. Uh, hearing that for the first time, uh, I mean, you could, my erection hit my chin if my dick was that long. Uh, I mean, it was so good. Heaven and Hell is one of those songs that I don't get sick of. Yes. Like, I hear it so... I mean, I've heard it so much in my life, but if it starts playing, I'm like, that the volume knob is going up. Uh, if I'm driving, the foot's hitting the fucking floor, and I'm probably rear-ending somebody. I, the, the record overall is very strong, but those two songs are out of this world to me. Uh, if there's a weak spot, it, it might be Walk Away or Lonely is the word, but yeah, Lady yeah. Evil... But again, I like all of them. I mean... It, it's really difficult to pick one. And the album cover is great. Did you guys know this is actually a painting from a photo from 1928? Yes. Yes, I'll be sharing that as a teaser for this episode. So by the time someone hears it, they'll have oh, already seen it. But Very cool. I do, uh, I do know that, that uh, Van Halen 1984 kind of ripped this off a little bit. A little bit with the Smoking Angel, but it was a, yeah. it was a combination a of this album cover and Born Again. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. yeah you but, guys laugh, but it's fucking true. Okay. But yeah, I'll go with what Baco said. If this album, the the highs on this album are so just neon nights in heaven and hell. I put those in the top 10 of all eras of Black Sabbath songs. Bloody so I angels put, fast ascending, moving on a never ending light. Oh, I love that line. I just, ugh. I'm fucking yeah. rock hard right now, Lewis. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad that you're with another man this year to see this. <laughs> I'm not feeling so comfortable. Yeah, he's, right he's now. Not, he looks kind of pale right now. I should just, I just uh, hear like a, a ch- slight chair just <laughs> screeching across the, the <laughs> other side of the mic, please. But no, but but no, if I, I could, I could throw this into, um, you know, with the Aussie 
era songs and pick eight from there. And these two are in it. Yeah. Period, Dio. It yeah. doesn't matter what we're talking about past this. Those two are my favorite two Dio era songs. I don't care if they're the most popular or not. It's because they're fucking incredible. And Word. the thing that's interesting about this album is, the, is that this is a whole different beast of Sabbath. Up-tempo, but somehow... Still, with the change of the guard and everything like that, it still is distinctively Sabbath. Yes? Well said. I concur. Okay. Yeah, it's almost reminiscent of uh, when ACDC had to replace Bon Scott. Yeah, very much. But, I can see that. You know, sure. Obviously, yeah, it wasn't it's... a death, so it wasn't so dramatic. It was a, you know just this whole, the whole split. But you had to replace an iconic singer, and you had to come out swinging. Kind of like when Warrant had to replace Jamie St. James. Or or with uh with uh, uh the, right now Billy Hardaway is shooting himself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean you can't if you're a Sabbath fan and you've gone through technical. I mean I know those are huge lows, but if you're going through those albums, um, and you get this, you can't be like, oh, my oh God. man, God, they got this other singer. You gotta be like, all right, they're back, baby. They're back. I mean, yeah. come on. No, you, you said it perfect that this is so different than anything they ever done. It doesn't sound like anything they ever did, but it sounds like fucking Black Sabbath. And, right. And it's – how do you do that if you're not like, I don't know, Todd Rundgren? What? Well, he has a lot of – you know, he's 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 kind of like a – got a kaleidoscope of, of sounds. A cornucopia or a cornucopia, yes. Let's go with cornucopia. Okay. My favorite Black Sabbath song. <laughs> no. Once the record comes out, you know, it their popularity kind of gets a nice little boost, right? And they go out on tour, and midway through the tour, Bill Ward decides, I'm done. And he decides he's done in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the last concert? And, yeah, and he apparently calls Dio, and Dio's in his hotel room. He's like, uh, that's it, mate. And and he's like, or he's like, I'm off, mate, or something like that. And Dio's like, sure. off to where? And he's like, I'm at the airport. I'm done. And then he hung up. And then they uh, scrambled and got Vinnie Appice in and finished the tour with Vinnie Appice, who stayed on for the next record, Mob Rules, which was released on my birthday on November 4th, 1981, recorded in the Windy City, Los Angeles, at the record plant and produced by Martin Birch. First off, I want to comment on the album cover. We we did a lot of that coverage in the Ozzy era. Sure. Um, this for me, I love this album. Uh, the album art on this, Greg Hildebrandt, Hildebrandt does so much great work, and um, I actually I think um, I became more familiar with him later on in in various fantasy pieces and stuff. And then I remember flipping through some some a book or something and i saw that album cover and i'm like oh my god this is that same guy and then it was the whole connection a kick-ass album cover and then the music itself i um i think Baco, you may have mentioned this or maybe we talked about out there where this is almost it feels like these are sister albums yes. or they're they're oh, yeah. so similar the same kind of vibe um just kind of picking up where they left off on the previous album more just great music. I don't feel it's as strong as an album as the previous one. Um, maybe that's just because that one just kind of hits you upside the head and you've got that such a, that epic heaven and hell and neon nights. Um, still mob rules, a uh, great track on that one. Boy, what else do we got on this one? Turn up the night was a single that was released on it. That's an all right track. Boy, I, I like voodoo. 
Yeah, Voodoo, that was another uh, big one off that one's kind of got a g- cool vibe to it. Country cool Girl groove. is supposedly about uh, Wendy Dio. <laughs> True story. Do you know what the bonus track is on here? It's not on the original. It's <laughs> that Garage Sale. So, uh, Sign of the Southern Cross, that's another one. That's, <laughs> that's yes. a terrible transition. <laughs> yeah, yes. he's like, he's like he's what like, the fuck, fuck are you fuck talking about? Garage, garage sale. Sign of the Southern Cross, Luz. Suck it. Yeah. Get your head out of your that, ass. That was, Please, that was Gene, continue. Sign of the Southern Cross, that's another track that I do want to point out that for me is a, just a really phenomenal track. Oh, yeah. I, I was listening to that one again recently and just was uh, blown away by how cool that track is. If there isn't light when no one sees, then how can I know what you might believe? A story told that can't be real Somehow must reflect the truth we feel Crystal 
the cover, I completely agree with Gene. This actually reminds me of the, fir- the, the their debut album and the creepiness and the, just kind of the style kind of <laughs> scrawled together. Okay. Um, just even even the tones of it, everything like that, you know, that you can't even see the 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 faces of the the mob. Um, anyway, there's a lot of similarity there for me. But uh, I agree. I think these are sister albums too, where Heaven and Hell is the super hot sister, and this one's eh, she's pretty good looking. But not, uh, eh, not that bad. Yeah, not that bad. But you know, uh, Voodoo, Southern Cross, Tile Track, those are the top three for me. Um, the second half kind of. Eh, it's pretty good. Country Girl, you know, whatever. It's, it's definitely a strong album as well. And again, a one-two punch from Dio. The first song I ever heard off this record was a title track, and it was in the uh, animated film uh, Heavy Metal. Ooh, yeah. With, with all those naked big boob girls that uh, right. it was weird masturbating to cartoons, but uh, sure. oddly pleasurable. You got you, you got over it, though. Yeah, but, well, I'm still doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, I could just pretty much uh you know uh copy what you guys were saying i love the opening track turn up the night voodoo again one of my favorite tunes sign of the southern cross uh gene nailed it is great mob rules as a track doesn't really do it for me huh. um just it's okay i just don't think it's that great of a tune you don't like uh, fool, you don't like fools being rhymed with rules is the problem <laughs> yeah it's, it's the rhyming that i have an issue with mm-hmm. i understand uh uh <laughs> Uh, other than that, I don't know. I like falling off the edge of the world. It's it's a good record. It's like you said, it, the heaven and hell is the hot, the hot girl, and mob rules is like uh, I don't, the Chloe Kardashian. No, that's not that. No, no, she's just not Chloe. Oh, it's Courtney. Courtney. Yeah, is, is yeah, Courtney. yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Like the, the the middle hot one. Well, I actually put Courtney uh, above. So this would be the the just the Kanye's bitch. Okay, whatever. Those are my thoughts. Uh, anybody got anything else to say on this uh, this uh, amazing album? Gene, do you want to just put out an SOS? Distress call? Anything? <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, it's all good. I'm sitting pretty close to the door. I feel like I could tip over a few things. <laughs> and make my you at least have a fighting chance. You have a lead. I've, yep. I'm parked down the street so I can get a good running start. Which brings us to Live Evil, which is where... <sighs> Everything starts to fall apart as far as the band. Why that is, uh, it's somewhat up in debate. But I happened to talk to Martin Popoff earlier tonight, and he had uh, a couple things to say about that. The drama that surrounded Live Evil has always been fascinating to me. Um, through through all the talks and the people you've interviewed over the years and, and, the, and the books you've written, uh, what can you? What, is there any kind of insight you can lend us regarding like what was happening, you know, with the band at that time? I guess what what we have going on there is that you know Ronnie definitely he's the, he he's a great guy. He was a great interview. He was thoughtful, considerate, but he definitely was known to have a little bit of an ego as well. And and why not? He's a super talented guy. The other guys, um, you know, they they have their own way of doing things. You've got British guys, two British guys in the band. You've got two Italian Americans in the band, right? <laughs> um, and and basically, you know, I I think they were starting to um, butt heads on on a lot of things. And so coming up to Live Evil, um, you know, here they are playing live, and then you know you you could tell almost um, how much Ronnie sings on that album. Uh, where where you could tell that there was a little bit of an ego clash be, between who is really uh, leading this band 
kind of thing. Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't have a lot to back up that, but I, I just get a sense that that you know there's a little bit of Tony thinking this is my band and Ronnie thinking I'm the front man. This is kind of my band. We've done great. We've had a uh, platinum album. We've had a we've had a gold album. Um, it's still the 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 war is raging between uh, Ozzy doing even better than Black Sabbath, at this point. <laughs> but they're both they're both hockey arena bands at this point. They're both doing fine. Um, so there's a, there's a little bit of mostly friendly, mostly whatever. Um, but you know there is competition between these two camps. Um, and you know you say uh, between Ozzy and Black Sabbath, it, yeah, it was Ozzy is mostly friendly at that point. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't say they were friendly. I would say even in the press they were sniping a little okay. bit. And Ronnie, Ronnie definitely would have his backup about it. You know, it's it's like the classic Sammy Hager versus David Lee Roth. It's <laughs> it's identical. It's like one guy is is given the props for being the great frontman, and the other guy is given the props for being the great vocal technician, right? Okay, yeah. So so anyway, so so at this point, there's already trouble in the band, problems in the band. Um, you know they've had they've had Sandy Perlman as manager. They they went through that whole uh, black and blue uh, friction thing touring with Blue Oyster Cult, etc. But from what I recall, uh, basically around Live Evil, um, there was there was the um, I I don't know if I can get this story completely straight uh, from memory, but there was definitely talk about how um, when they're mixing it, um, you know. Geezer and Tony would mix it one way and then they'd go home and then and then there was, you know, rumors that Ronnie would come in and turn his vocals up in the mix and stuff. Well, I think I think that has always been denied and it's been put down to uh, I I remember Ronnie. If I if I get this right, I think Ronnie was saying it was like a like an engineer who was drinking whiskey and was drunk all the time. It was him doing it. It wasn't me. Uh, Uh, That kind of thing. So so I think it I think it came down to. Um, you know, rumors or thinking this was happening, and uh, and you know, a bit of subterfuge, not knowing who was who was doing what, but um, and nobody thought to take a look at the uh, the, the the sliders on the mixing board and yeah, <laughs> see no, if they I, were it, higher or lower. Yeah, I don't think this was completely <laughs> resolved, but basically, um, you know, they they are they are have kind of gone down in history that this was. Uh, a big misunderstanding Um, and obviously they got back together again twice later Um, you know obviously they they did fine together later on Um, but I think they look back on it and look at it as as a big misunderstanding but I I do get the feeling that um, you know there were definitely ego clashes along the way he actually says in his book something he didn't say there and that like you know when you're like you're working and you're kind of mixing stuff. You just try different things and then somebody else comes in and tries different things. But I I think it's odd that if they really were accusing of like Dio of pushing his vocals, that they never bothered looking at the slider for the vocal knob and to see if it was higher or lower than when they left the night before. I just think it seems like too convenient of a story. And, uh, but, but it is kind of a, a overall Dio thing where he gets super mad over something and then like takes off and then he gets super mad again later, which we'll go over. And it just, I think there's something more, you know what I mean? I think this is just the story, the convenient. It's the Napoleon complex. It's like, you looking at me, you want to fight? You want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'll build my own band. I'll build my own dragons on stage. Uh, Gene, are you familiar with the story where like basically 
Tony and Geezer would go in at night because they're Satanists, uh, and they only they only they only come out at night. Uh, and they would mix the album, and then then Dio would come in with, in the morning with a fresh cup of coffee, the Folgers, and then like pump the vocals up and bring the guitars down and everything but Dio down. And then they'd come in back at night and go, why is everything different? No, actually, I wasn't familiar with that story, but uh, I knew there was uh, a little bit of something there was amiss with it, but I never did delve into the history of it. I think, you know, because they were dealing with a guy who had had a career prior to them. He had a bit of an ego. They all did, uh, but Dio was probably already looking at starting the solo career because Holy Diver came out pretty quick after this album. Yeah, I also heard that one of the things was that uh, during the tour, they kept um, drawing his his ones in, so he thought he was gaining weight. I think they stole that from a MASH episode, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, with Charles Emerson Winchester. You're right. Yeah, oh, my God. Do you know... Everything yeah, that's, comes. That, that's a, uh, a reference fresh enough for you, right, Luce? <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything comes back to mash, really. Yeah, it really does. Um, but yeah, so Dio, um, Dio goes on to start Dio. <laughs> oh, uh, I, this, I do know. I do is, know. Also, also one of the controversies was on Live Evil. Um, they added um, uh, against Dio's decision, Alan Alda on backing vocals. <laughs> it worked. I well. thought it was that they had a hologram Ozzy walk around the stage. <laughs> <laughs> The first hologram issue. God bless you. Do you know that? Do you know that hologram is called Return of Ozzy? Oh my God! Yeah, it's not. It's not Ozzy hologram. Uh, no, it's not uh, uh, Hollow Ozzy. Yet I respect it. Hol- respect the hologram. <laughs> Hol Ozzy. <laughs> Sounds like a lozenge. Halazi. Yeah. So there's uh basically Sabbath goes pretty much off the radar for people that aren't named me. And Dio and Gene. We're talking only about Dio's involvement in Black Sabbath. We will get on all the 80s stuff in the next episode, which we will call The Lost Era. Dio basically leaves after this record, takes Vinny Apice with him, sticks his tiny little middle finger up, and points it at uh, 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 Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler and starts his solo project, Dio. Thank you! Just to touch on that really quick, I mean... I mean, talk about a, a great run of albums, almost equal to or greater than the, the, the two Black Sabbath ones, at least Last in Line and, and uh, Holy Diver, yes? Yeah, the first two were great. Absolutely. You think so, too? Yeah. So that era, though, I'm just saying from 1980 to call it 84, 85, that was like Dio domination. I'm a big fan of Sacred Heart, too. Okay. So going past there, where, where, where do you kind of fall off on the Dio, just for a quick overview because i think it's the album after that what's the one with all the fools sailed away on it um dream evil okay yeah that's pretty much the end that's my last deal record what about you i mean i I have more than that but that was the last one that i really dug yeah i would have to say that same one that's i think things kind of tailed off for me a little bit there um still not bad albums but just nothing nothing to the caliber of those of those albums by any means yeah, I mean, I don't want to spoil my lead, but it kind of hints on what they do with Dio with Sabbath later on. Well, that was what I was going to say. Is do, do you think that kind of leads to the uh, reunion early '90s with him? I do, and so does uh, Martin Popoff. Uh, <laughs> uh, both bands were kind of uh, fizzling at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. Sabbath longer than Dio. Dio had that nice little hot stretch, but 
You know, by uh, late 90, uh, early 91, when Geezer joins him on stage in St. Paul, Minnesota at the Roy Wilkins Auditorium. Again, St. Paul. Are you yeah, telling me back, there's so much St. Paul? Yeah, back in the Twin Cities. Right. Yeah, I, it's unreal, isn't it? Uh, that kind of rekindles a friendship. And by the, and remember, Geezer's not in Black Sabbath at this point. He had checked out uh, after Born Again. A little bit later, but but but, but definitely before a Seventh Star. The, the point being is that that was kind of how things came together with them. And then Dio and uh, uh, Geezer were talking, and they brought it to Tony. And so Tony kicked the other Tony, Tony Martin, out of the band and brought in... Uh, 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 Dio and Geezer back. And the best part of this, and this is back to that whole spinal tap at, uh, angle of all this, sure. is that Cozy Powell was the drummer in Black Sabbath at this time. But Vinny Abbasi ended up getting recruited back into play this because a horse fell on Cozy Powell and broke his hip. <laughs> <laughs> a horse? Yeah, he uh, had a horse fall on him. Do you know, uh, that, did, do you know that sounds like the worst... Uh, excuse why you have to call in sick for work. Yeah, it's like, uh, I, I feel horrible. Yeah, horse fell on me. <laughs> the, the more complicated the story, the bigger the lie. Well, it broke his hip and uh, broke his heart, and uh, he was not allowed to... Uh, it, it, because they, they ended up doing Dehumanizer with... Uh, with with Vinny back in it. So it was basically the reunion of the Mob Rules album. Um, but... Believe it or not, during this time they actually were not getting along with Dio, mm. and they they talked about they talked to Tony Martin and brought him back in for just about a week or two, and I don't remember exactly how that all fell apart. I, I'd, I'd have to bust open my book from Martin Popoff to to remember, but I know they ended up working it out with Dio, and apparently they were all just big egos. Um, but uh, the record Dehumanizer uh, it came out on my birthday in June twenty second, nineteen ninety two. <laughs> Again, they go back to Rockford Studios in Wales. This album was produced by something called Reinhold Mack. Before I talk about how Dio ends up getting out of this, any thoughts on this? What do you think of the album cover? That, yeah, I was just pulling that up. It's okay. I, it's not strong for me. What are kinda, your thoughts? It's kind of like the Force Lightning uh, from Darth Vader or, or the, like Emperor. the Emperor. The Emperor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good poll. It's Death using his Force powers against some hapless chap who's trying to access his computer and find out his birthday to hack into his Facebook account. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's everything right there. Right there. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the the kid looks like he's like, I think think I'm going to check out Black Sabbath and just fucking gets killed by this album. Now, this is one that that I've skipped over for a long time. Yeah, me too. Um, But going back to it, it's a really good album. I mean, it's it's not solid, complete from bookends, uh, beginning to to end. But there's some really solid tracks on here. After all, is a is a oh, great, yeah, it's a good tune. A great track. Time Machine is pretty good. Um, but for me, the strongest one would be I.
I just really like the the vibe on that. Yep, I like that one and too. The, and the drumming on it, just a solid release. Surprisingly so, even. Um, and it's kind of weird, you know, like if you're going to listen to Al, uh, the discography of Black Sabbath, obviously things get, you know, you you things change and evolve, and then you get to the Dio era, and then all of a sudden there's this Tony Martin era, and then all of a sudden you're kind of back to the same sound they had with the Dio era, but a little bit more modern. The stuff that Tony was writing previous to this uh, really kind of gets, it it doesn't flow into this album. It's like a, a whole new vibe that just hits for this album, and then later on it's gone again. Yeah, this album, um, first off, I, I, I thought that the, the single TV Crimes was no good. I, it didn't do anything for me. Same here. Uh, t- Time Machine Agreed. actually got me to listen to the album uh, because it was actually on the Wayne's World soundtrack. I do have a question, too, before going to my opinion of the album is, is this released on the same label as Black Sabbath was on during the 80s? Or did they jump again? We same covered that, I think. Uh, it is, right? IRS. Yeah, is it's IRS. Okay, okay. I'm guessing that there is pressure from from everywhere where, you know, essentially during that time, there's a lot of t- Tony Iommi almost solo stuff. Right, and they kept saying, "Fuck it, just put a Black Sabbath sticker on the front of it." Sure, yeah. Okay. Is there any history here where it's almost like you have to do this album, or you're basically no? Done? This was definitely uh, they were actually getting ready to work on another Tony Martin record when they were approached, okay. and they, they they started fresh. And this is this Rockfield Studios. I'll give you a little history here. This is one of the old school studios where the, it's almost like a like a camp, like a band camp. You actually stay there and live there and work and record hmm. there. You know, it's not like a studio in a city where you go home or back to a hotel. You, 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 and they they recorded uh, Heaven and Hell recorded the the Devil You Know here, and at yeah, and at that that at that point it was basically one of the, it was pretty common. You know, during the oh lead up to this record, but those kind of studios are pretty much long gone. But apparently, this one was still hanging around. Um, just like Gene just said, I like the song I. Yeah. Time Machine, and that's that's just I, this is just I, I like After All a lot. Okay, and, and again, I've never given this this album a, a, a fair shake. I mean, TV Crimes is definitely like a modern sound. It's just it's just an oddity. To it me. sucks. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't like the video, and it didn't sound like what I would expect. And it definitely, I think, was a hindrance to the album's success because it definitely did not make me listen to this for years later. <laughs> What's the best Black Sabbath music video? Not uh, not TV crimes. Well, I mean, it's going to be really... something recent, I would think, because they've sure. had horrible, horrible music videos. What are your thoughts, Gene? What do you? Uh, so it took you a long time to get into this too. Is was that kind of maybe one of the reasons? Or no, I think it was just just ignored it. Really, you know, yeah. I think the 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 previous Sabbath albums were were everything was being panned. Nobody was getting into them. They were just kind of putting out the uh, discount bin type of albums for so many years that this kind of just fell into that mindset for for where i was at at that point i mean we're we're talking 1992 we're talking the black album had, had just blown everybody away uh for the most part grunge grunge is yeah is tearing yeah. everything apart um bands are you know megadeth had had a kick-ass album before this um so there's just so much good stuff that just kind of hit and then yes grunge comes along and just tears the fabric of everything apart and all the hair rock bands are falling away here's black sabbath and it's like well what's what's what is where does this fit and i think for somebody like me who wasn't really just 
knee deep like I should have been. You know, I think at this point, life is changing and you're going through so much stuff. And so some of these things you miss now, but that's the beauty of going back is just that rediscovery of going, oh my God, I'm so bummed I missed this. Like for me, Painkiller was one of those albums. I remember people talking about Painkiller and I just ignored them. Like, are you talking about those old guys? As did I. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Real, real quick, Luz, it's amazing because Martin Popoff makes that exact comparison. Wow. Talking about this record. Yeah. I mean, Painkiller. Yeah. I can just tell you this much, and that, that is that I was not aware of any Black Sabbath album during the 80s at all. There's no promotion, but all of a sudden they, the, 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 the uh, you know, well, for good reason because Dio was back, but all of a sudden from posters and the record stores to, uh, to things in the magazines. I was aware, at least, that this album existed, is my point, during sure. this time. Um, unlike on any other era. And, and then nothing past this. So this is the this is the one that sticks into my memory. Uh, Gene hit all the tunes that I would go back to. And uh, you, you brought up uh, TV Crimes being a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of agree with pretty much all that. But for the most part, this album is kind of forgettable and it's kind of like what Dio was doing pretty much after this uh with like strange highways and lock up the wolves i i just felt it was like this kind of plotty boring oh just <sighs> the term i love to use uninspired music and it was like people going through the motions that didn't know they were doing it um they gave it hell but uh that's my that's my thoughts on the album anyway yeah this all falls apart because Ozzy's on his no more tours tour, you know, where he's going to retire. Sure. Finger, finger quotes. Uh, that's for you, Gene. Or, uh, or <laughs> how, how awesome is the fact that he had to cancel dates on his no more tours two tour? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's fucking 900 years old. Continue. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he, he was wrapping up the tour in California and had like a two or three shows lined up somewhere, uh, in LA. And he asked black Sabbath to open for him. Because probably more like my minions kind of thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm with Dio on this one. I'm like, seriously, we can't do this because they let Dio quit and still did it. Just proves that Dio was right. You just have a hard on for getting back together with Ozzy. You don't really want to stick it out with me. For that whoa, whoa, reason, whoa, whoa. who do they who do they have on vocals then for that? Rob Halford did those shows. Oh, so fucked up. I do know that story now that you remind me of it. But uh, yeah, that was the end of this. And then uh, then we all know what happened next. Black Sabbath released two iconic records that you know pretty much changed the course of music with Cross Purposes. And of course, <laughs> who doesn't own Forbidden? <laughs> <laughs> who does? Yeah, okay, well, I do. Uh, but uh, after that, we'll get into that in the next episode. But uh, after that, they, they basically reunite with Ozzy. They become the headliner at every... On Ozfest on the odd years, so 97, 99, 2001. <laughs> right. Uh, and they play the same eight songs every every time. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Slow. The ones that Ozzy can still kind of pretend to sing. Yeah. Uh, and then there's some kind of fight and fallout, and, well, Dio comes back into the picture. But at this point, it's kind of like Black Sabbath has kind of reestablished that Black Sabbath is the original four. They can't really bring Dio back in and call it Black Sabbath. So they call it Heaven and Hell, which is you know the name of the album that yep. uh, they're most known for with Dio. And they released the record, The Devil You Know, on my birthday on June 28th, 2009. Like I said, it was, once again, recorded at Rockfield Studios in Wales. 
And by the way, uh, Dio uh, drinks a pint of beer while he sings. Uh, and produced by Dio, Iomi, and Butler. That's clever. Now, they did some like lead up shit to this. I know they released like two DVDs from this lineup uh, doing this stuff. Uh, 2007 live at Radio Music City Hall. And in 2010, uh, Neon Knight's 30 Years of Heaven and Hell. I'm not sure if that one came out before or after he died on March or on May 16th in 2010. Um, of stomach cancer. Uh, rest in peace, Dio. Um, this album is very boring. Wow. <laughs> well, for me, initially, I think I just discounted this one. Really? Um, initially, uh, yeah. I tried to love it. Yeah, I don't know where I was at with my mindset, but I know when I when I got it when they re released it on vinyl, and I, I and and especially after thirteen came out, and I was kind of I decided I was going to do a comparison, and we may even did an episode on this on the pod, on the Disciples of Watch podcast. Um, either that or we just had a good discussion regarding it. And I was trying to see which album was stronger. And revisiting this one really just made it stronger for me. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. And I I fell in love with it. I think it's... I, I like the album art, which is pretty cool. It's it's not groundbreaking by any means. It's good. Like that, but it's good. Now, as far as picking out a, individual tracks on this, I that's a tough part for me because it, it all feels... Boring? No. <laughs> it all just feels like it's they're I don't know, they're they're all fairly equal. I'm not gonna say this this is obviously the weakest of the Dio era. I think uh, it's point. better than Dehumanizer. Yeah, you know what? Is a complete package, yes, but there's no songs like After All, there's no I Agreed. On so that's why it doesn't kind of just push through. However, uh, when you, when I put it up against thirteen, I will listen to this every time over thirteen. Boo! Yay! Boo, Boo Gene! Boo. Yay! It's a far, it's a superior yeah. album compared to thirteen. You know this. It, it's interesting how just the name or logo or whatever just kind of like it makes it seem not as legit. Just 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 not being called Black Sabbath or. Or whatnot almost knocks us down mentally uh, for really? me a little bit, uh, almost like a solo project. Even though it has every single person that was on uh, Mob Rules, but anyway, so that, I think that definitely hurt it a bit. I can just tell you this much: I do like it more than thirteen. It, it's a wow. God, you guys are haters. No, I'm not a hater. It's just the fact that there's there's just better. <sighs> I don't, I don't really better. like... I don't really You're like, lyrically I, better! Listen to me. I went <laughs> and... Uh, I need to go back to this again. I, I do know that a couple of years ago I went back to it randomly and I was like, this is pretty good. I can't even tell you what songs I do and do, do not like, but I can tell you that You know I why? Because it's boring. Boring is God is dead, okay? That song is so long that God is alive. No, boring is an afternoon with your kids. <laughs> That's very personal. The um, very, the, the, uh, sorry, sorry about that, bro. Yeah, jeez, you want to look sorry. too far there. Sorry, bro. <laughs> sorry, bro. Okay. Uh, I mean, I can't even tell you what song is what song on here. I think I, I know. I remember Bible Black. All I can tell you is this is better than thirteen. So if this is the last album from an era of of, of Black Sabbath, I prefer this one over thirteen. I prefer the Iomi uh, record over this. Oh yeah, well that one's pretty damn. Uh, that that's a solid album. That's, that's a great record, actually. Yeah, yeah. probably not um, the best point, huh? No, not the best point. <laughs> but um, one of the songs that definitely is a squish getter is "Eating the Cannibals." 
I never slept alone in St. Cloud when that song was playing. Yeah, you play that and you lead into Turn of the Screw. Any particular ones that are standouts for you, Gene? I just know that I just like this in general more than 13. Bible Black is one that, yeah, you did mention that one. Adam and Evil is, I think, is a, is a fine track. It's, you know what? Yes, the the the, the, the Adam track. and Evil. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> he actually says pause. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that's when the squish come in. <laughs> Dio, you really need to sell the word pause more. Do it again. Phantom and evil. Pause. You do an awful, awful Dio. <laughs> Not all my impressions can be spot on. That's true. They certainly did a lot as far as promotion for this. Right? I mean, yeah, there's no, a lot of... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it got a lot of press. I think it got a lot of attention. Um, I don't think the album was strong enough to, uh, you know, that it, it that it helped launch itself, that it, it didn't... Um, I don't... It's, it's like I said, it's a good album, but it doesn't just really grab you and hold you. It's It kind of reminds me in a way of, like, the Tony Martin era um, uh, albums where there's solid stuff in there and they're really good to put on and listen to, but there's no, like, just grab you by the throat songs there's no heaven and hell like i said before there's no um i or anything like that or no mob rules there's no neon knights but as a overall package it's a good album and i've learned to enjoy it far more later on than i did when it first came out i i think this uh era of them is more about the live them going out and touring um that's true because then they can play the hits yeah yeah and 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 so the album is what it is. People people can like it more than I do or not. I don't think it's a horrible record. I just think it's kind of boring. But I still think it's better than Dehumanizer. But you, you made a great point. It it doesn't have those peaks that that record has. It's just more of a flatline, kind of a plateau kind of thing going through. But to me, yeah, it was more about like Dio's back in the band. They did like three tours. You know, they did like one or two before the record and then one after. Uh, they started in 2007 and this record came out in 2010. Did I have that date right? 2009. 2009. Yeah, 2007. Then, yeah, Dio is, died in 2010. Yeah, that 2007 is when they had uh, the Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, the, the DVD they shot so there. So two years or previous. Yeah, and it so, kind yeah. of inspired them to kind of create new music. Yeah, I mean, just like 13, though, I mean, the bonus tracks that they put out later I actually like better. Like when they, they um, after Dio's death, they put out the iTunes uh, exclusive bonus track version that had the song I Love Dragons, Swords, and Satin. And that is, <laughs> is by far my favorite song on the album. <laughs> I Didn't like Dragon Kanye... Swords, Satins, and Onesies. <laughs> Yeah, Kanye sampled that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He's a genius. Satin. Totally. Oh, my God. He's a Put, stable genius. <laughs> he, he puts on a mag hat and, and rips a, a satin digger, and he fucking kills it. Oh, boy. Yeah, why isn't Kanye covering Dio? That know me best I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex Why? I made that bitch famous I made that bitch famous <laughs> He should He did Queen Why not Dio? It was great too uh-huh. I just killed a man Put my gun up to his head Pulled a trigger That should be part of Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie coming out. Is Kanye? <laughs> it's Kanye. <laughs> <doing it. laughs> Mama! It, 
Freddie Mercury was such an inspiration that he inspired this excellent cover. I love Baco's summation of what the uh, the documentary is going to be, and that is the what did you say? What happens in the uh, the studio for Bohemian? Oh Rhapsody? yeah, it's going to be like uh, uh, everybody follow me, the key of E, and then they all play this orchestrated song. Mama Mia, Mama time. Mia. Hey, I'm going to add this yeah. part too. Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Because that's, that's the way those all are. Even that stupid NWA movie that everybody talked about. I'll tell you this right now. Just like this A Star is Born remake, yeah. you're not going to be allowed to not like the Queen documentary. Right. I can already tell. It was the same thing with other movies like the Black Panther uh, movie. You weren't allowed to not like that. And I finally saw it, and it was one of the dumbest fucking movies I've ever seen. Well, Black Panther? And, yeah, Black Panther fucking sucked. I saw the first five minutes of that, and I was out. Oh yeah, I, I made it twenty minutes. We're talking anyway, movies now. We we Gene, Gene. we went. Uh, this is called going sideways. <laughs> yeah. This will not uh, make the show. Uh, looking at Gene's face, I'm pretty sure uh, he thinks The Star Is Born is uh, one of the best movies he's ever seen. I think the 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 look he's giving you is the look of fear. I have to leave. <laughs> uh, fear, fear, fatigue, and uh, yeah, he just wants to get the fuck out of there. Oh, we all have the fatigue, don't we? My jerk sock, I think, is dried to my skin. Well, how how, how could it not be at this point? It's been five hours. No, we we still have the uh, the lost era to get to, which we'll do. Oh, that's uh, true. Yeah, we gotta record that. I would like to be part of the lost era, but my my phone is at three percent, so I got to go. Well, we covered everything, right? Any any last thoughts, Gene, on uh, pretty much Dio and Black Sabbath? It's it's a very important band. I'm I'm so appreciative of everything that they put out. You know, there's been hits and there's been misses, but they still kept going. And Tony Iommi is is can write so many damn good riffs. Geezer Butler is such a phenomenal bass player. So we, you know, we got a lot of good years out of those guys and a lot of kick-ass music that's inspired so many people. So many covers have been made uh, off of these songs. And how come nobody's covered FX? Yeah, you know that's a good question. Yeah, that is <laughs> that's a good question. I also like how come more guitarists don't chop off their fingers. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, we never even touched on that about that whole deal. Uh, that he ended up like uh, tuning down the the step and a half on Master Reality because it was painful for him to play, even with the little protective the things caps, yeah, yeah. on his little smooshed fingertips. See, uh, that, that's what that's exactly where I like that album is the smooshed fingertip feel. <laughs> Plus, you, you, that's another good point is this they they overcame adversity. You know, yeah. they're they're about to, to and think about that too. Like this is the best advice you can give anybody who's left-handed who wants to play guitar. Is just as hard to learn how to play left-handed as it is to learn how to play right-handed. Just play right-handed because it's easier to find guitars. He never <laughs> even he never even dawned on him to like maybe I should just like switch and just kind of rework it all. You know, he's stuck with. It's like I'm gonna fucking put duct tape on the tip of these two fingers and then try to mash my way through this, as opposed to just relearn to play a, a guitar the normal way. I mean, yeah, I mean, adversity. I mean, we, we haven't even talked about the fact that Ozzy has made it 50 years without a brain. He's like the. Uh, <laughs> he's like he's like essentially the uh, the original Walking uh, Dead. Yeah, yeah, his original shit. Walking Dead or the uh, the Scarecrow and Wizard of Oz, who just fumbled. Uh, I will way say through. this: Ozzy yeah. and Keith Richards. I'm going to put them both in the same category. Uh, they're they're the people that everybody goes to. It's amazing they're alive. It's really not. No. They've had uh, fucking personal chefs. They've lived. They've they've had people pretty much open a door for them everywhere they went for the last four fucking decades. 
And as much as they may have abused themselves, they clean themselves up on almost like a yo-yo. There are people who aren't rich and famous that live and to tell about it. So it's really not that fucking amazing that Ozzy Osbourne went on tour with Motley Crue in 1983, snorted some ants, and is still alive. If Tommy Lee and Ozzy were on, uh, are you smarter than a four- <laughs> are you smarter than a fourth grader? Who would win? <laughs> The fourth grader. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yes. But, but, but who would score lower? Oh, Ozzy's definitely smarter than Tommy Lee. I think so, <laughs> It's not close. Tommy Lee, one of the best rock drummers of all time, one of the dumbest human beings on the planet. Oh, easily. The fact that Ozzy doesn't have a Twitter account and Tommy Lee does proves <laughs> that he's smarter. Uh, <laughs> you I think that that's right. it. I love Dio. Uh, I love satin onesies. Uh, I I love uh, talking to you guys, but we got to move on. All right, Gene, why don't you tell the people where they can find your band and your podcast? Well, thanks for guys for including me. uh, Of course you can find the disciples of the watch podcast. We are D O T W P O D.com. And uh, the band is mortificator mortificator. So you guys can learn to say that on your own. Mortificator. Yes. Mortificator. 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 Beetle breakfast. Uh, beetle drink. Uh, beetle. Uh, uh, beetle juice. Yes, that's it. There you go. Mortificator.com. We got a new album coming out hopefully by the end of the year. Right so on. if you like your metal heavy and a little bit thrashy and a little bit... Uh, Metal churchy, overkilly, uh, and the, and the, that kind of stuff. Overkilly is not an adjective. I just created one. Yeah, it's a good it, it's a good description of their band. Okay, is it underrated? Perfectly rated. <laughs> okay, got it. All right, let's get the hell out of here, and we're going to return shortly with uh, what, what are we calling the era? The eighties era. The lost era. We're yes. copying ourselves with the Alice Cooper stuff. So eh, yeah, it's going to be though. the Ian Gillen to oh whatever the Forbidden Record. Rock's not dead. It's having a garage sale. And selling swords, dragons, and broken torches.
got, Gene? Come on, help us out. We're not geniuses here. <laughs> geniuses. Well, how about Rock's Not Dead? It's banging Sharon Osbourne right now. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 